1: Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth.
2: 95 all. Jazz don't call a timeout. Joe Johnson comes to the front court, gets a pick from Ingalls. Seven seconds left, tie game. Joe Johnson working Jamal
3: Crawford. Three seconds, two, one, for the win. Yes! 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 Joe Johnson saves again!
1: You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz.
3: Part of the Locked On
1: Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked
2: On Jazz on the 28th of April. We'll preview Game Six, Jazz and Clippers. Give you a little rundown of what the opening key point to the radio broadcast will be. Then I sat down with Spence and Gordon this week and had a conversation. We'll share that with you as well. It's all coming up on this Friday, the 28th of April. Game Six on Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, Radio Voice, of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. Thanks so much for tuning in this morning. Hope ever or this afternoon, or whenever you're tuning in, sometime between now and eight thirty, I assume. Jazz will tip off against the Clippers in game number six at eight thirty mountain time. Uh, really eight forty. And then if they push it back, it gets to eight forty five. So, you know, get all your stuff done. Uh, clear the decks. Put earplugs on the young baby so you don't wake him up during the day and uh, get it wrong. By the way, it was seven years ago Sunday is the last time we won a playoff series. So it was against the Denver Nuggets and uh, won that. And if you listen to the Zach Lowe podcast, you remembered everybody was on that team. That's how you opened the podcast with me. So if you, if you did not uh, know that, Zach Lowe, uh, the fabulous ESPN writer, uh, had me on low post. And so that's available for you. Um, if you'd like to, if you'd like to listen to that. Uh, All right. um, I'm just going to – what I'm going to do today is I just prepped forever last night. Um, I feel awake, by the way, but I sound tired. Uh, So I'm going to just kind of share with you where I am on the major storylines of the game uh, without too much crazy detail, though I'll run through some other stuff. Uh, Make sense? Today's show is brought to you by – my friends at Murdoch Hyundai and Devin Cash, Equity Real Estate. Always good to have Devin uh, aboard the program. Uh, he's been a longtime supporter of the program and, and like to, to give him a little mention if you if, Devin's a real estate agent. He's helped out a bunch of locked-on jazz people uh, along the way. And the Murdochs, uh, Blake uh, and the crew, we had a nice lunch this week. I think that was this week. This week seems like it's been really long. Uh, I think that was on Monday. And uh, I'm currently driving a Hyundai Santa Fe and could not be more impressed with what I'm experiencing. All right, let's go to pins across the world. Uh, Lifelong jazz fan. Lived in Utah until fall when I moved to Concord, New Hampshire. I think my... So my mom grew up somewhere around there. She went to school in Concord, Mass., for high school, my fan status was cemented forever when my daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor when she was nine. Someone in the jazz organization found out about her, set up us a row of front row v- seats with VIP access. We got to go down to the court pregame and took pictures of the players, coaches, and Bear. I have pictures of my bald daughter with Millsap, Memo, Boozer, AD, D, Will, Jeff Hornacek, and Scott Layden. It was such a memorable and positive experience for our family It's such an excruciatingly painful time. We will never forget it. My daughter is seven years cancer-free. Awesome. I wear my jazz gear to the gym, and all the Celtics fans look at me sideways. I watch the playoff games until 1:30 Eastern, and try not to yell too loudly to wake up the family. Thank you for your work and your dedication. Now, Craig, thank you. That is Craig uh, Larson, and he is our pin across the world. I say this a lot. I get a lot of time. I, you know, I live in the public uh, eye a little bit, and so um, I get both accolades and criticism, which is fine, but. Often on the accolades, I feel as though they're misguided because the passion of Jazz Nation is what allows me to uh, kind of always be energized. The the incredible passion uh, that is Jazz Nation uh, it, it clearly keeps me energized. All right, let's go. Here are the storylines. This is I've not done this before, though. I've never been as prepped as I am for a broadcast all season, frankly, the day before. So, biggest storyline is it's this incredibly close series. Uh, Only 12 minutes of the entire series has had either team with a double-digit lead. The last double-digit lead when someone had the ball, and I I probably... uh, um, When someone had the ball. Last time someone had the double-digit lead and the ball um, was 9.48 of the third quarter of Game 3. I tweeted that wrong last night. Uh, Rodney put us up eleven. They scored right afterwards. But last time, someone had a double-digit lead, and the ball was nine forty-eight in the third quarter of Game Three. Seventy-six percent of the minutes of the series have been played within two possessions of each other. The Clippers have led for a hundred and twelve minutes, one hundred and twelve point four, really. And the Jazz have led for 111.6. So the Clippers have led for one more minute than the Jazz. Or if you rounded everything up, they'd be the exact same. How's that? How's that for a close series? That's why yesterday on the program you got me kind of saying, guys, I think, but let me tell you, it's one play here or there. So the score is tied. Overall in the series, 12 minutes have had double digit leads. Last double digit lead with the ball was 9.48 in the third quarter of game three. 76 minutes have been within two possessions, and the Clippers have led for 112.4, and the Jazz have led for 111.6. Wow. The Jazz storyline number two the Jazz offense at home has been. Cr- considerably better than on the road. The offensive rating on the three home games, 105, 102, and 105. On the road games, one, excuse me, on the home games, 121 and 119. So the average at home is 120. The average on the road is 104. The Jazz are shooting 53% at home and 43% from three. The At away, they're 46 and 39. Um... The Jazz for the season were 107. I would tell you the 120 seems a little high and probably too tough to continue for a night. It just, now let's hope that they do it, but at some point that's got to come back to normal. Jazz have won 10 of 11 at home. Uh, As I mentioned, today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai. Uh... Two aspects of this. One is the Murdochs. So I've gotten an OKO and Blake. Well, had a wonderful lunch with them uh, this week, uh, spending time with them and, and learning about their business. Such great insight. We talked a lot about, you know, what's going to happen with driverless cars and where it's going and what it impacts and uh, different. It was a really fun conversation, really bright, uh, interesting people. And the... And then we rolled into basketball, don't worry. So they're really, they're, they own uh, Murdoch Hyundai, obviously. And uh, the first thing I would just tell you about them is that they just take a huge amount of pride in making sure that your experience is representative of what, if you went into their house and walked out, how you'd want to, you know, they'd want you to feel if, if you spent time in their house. Uh, Hyundai has been a revelation to me. One of my friends said, so you've been telling me we've been being fooled the whole time. And I think that might be right. Uh, If you drive a Camry or an Accord and you're in the market for a sedan, you're just going to go do the same thing And Take a minute and go look at the Sonata. Just go look at what you get for it, what the safety ratings are compared to it, what your warranty is, like a 100,000-mile warranty, and compare. Uh, If you're going to drive an SUV, kind of one of those mid-sized SUVs, go look at the Santa Fe. I'm driving it right now. The the things you get are just incredible. The cameras on it for parking uh, have all sides, front and back. I asked, is like that common in these days? I don't have. I'm not a new car guy, so I asked, and the, and someone no, the Lexus doesn't actually have that. The Lexus, which is twenty thousand dollars more, does not have that. So if you're in the market for kind of that, I don't know if it's called mid-sized SUV. It's funny if we call this a mid-sized. It's really got a lot of space to it, but two rows. Back, good backspace to it. A lot of room inside. Check out the Santa Fe. I think you'll be stunned uh, at what you can get for about twenty thousand dollars. It's it's an amazing. Whatever Hyundai is doing, uh, is and then drive it. You'll see and you'll feel it that it's it's not some rinky dink. Something or other. They are really, really nice. I'm enjoying it. Drive it all the time. Love it. Uh, Keep getting texts from my friends. I didn't really believe you on this Hyundai thing. And then there it is. So, you know, I'm picking up a friend from Seattle today. I'm going to pick him up in the Hyundai. And the first thing he's going to say is, yeah, my gosh, you're really. Yes, I am. It's not. This is not made up. All right. let's. So Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street. All right. Let's get to more. Uh, Joe Johnson on the floor. has been the huge storyline. When Joe Johnson's on the floor, the Jazz have been shooting 50% and 42% from three. The offensive rating is 116 uh, with him on the floor. Without Blake, it's 119. When well, the Jazz are shooting 58% from the floor and 30... Oh, wait a sec. That is an old note that needs to be fixed. So let me just... Sorry, there's so many notes here. Some of them are not... Um, I thought I was done, but that one is... Um... That one is no longer accurate. Uh, I'll have to update that. Here's the unnerving thing about that. In Game 5, and we'll get to that in a second, uh, the Jazz offensive rating with Joe Johnson on the floor was a 93.5. Here's what it's been for the series. 113 in Game 1, 107 in Game 2, 119 in Game 4, 105 uh, one, and 93. One, sorry, let's do that again. 113 in Game 1 with Joe Johnson. 107 in Game 2. 131 in Game 3. 132 in Game 4. Clippers now adjust to it. 93 in Game 5. So that should be a little unnerving that the, um, that the Clippers did something that made the lineup with Joe Johnson not... As good. Uncontested shots. It's another storyline. Jazz in game one, 32. In game two, 28. In game three, 20. In game four, 31. And in game five, 41. If you give 41 uncontested looks, I think it's hard to win. Rudy Gobert's impact on the game. Clippers' offensive rating, uh, league average is 105. Clippers during the season was 110. Offensive rating with Rudy Gobert on the floor, 97.9. They have not been able to score with Rudy on the floor. Uh, What are they shots in their restricted area? Game one, when they didn't seem to adjust to Rudy being out, they took 23. Games two and three, when Rudy was out, they took 35 and 33. In games 4 and 5, when Rudy's been in, they took 19 and 17. So in the two games, Rudy was out completely. When they had time to game plan, they averaged 34 shots in the restricted area. In the last two games, they've gotten 18. Big, 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 big deal. Uh, Style of play. The Jazz are shooting 54 of 109 in the final seven seconds of the shot clock, which is really high. Uh, it's about 50%, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, with an effective field goal percentage of 58%. You're supposed to be inefficient the lower later the shot clock goes. The Jazz have been the opposite. Uh, they are 19 of 51 from three. 31.5% of the Jazz possessions are in the final seven seconds of the shot clock. Uh, this did not work. In Game 5, despite the win, the Jazz were 8 of 26 for 31% and 3 of 13 from 3. So I think what happened there is that the Jazz are getting double teamed. Joe Johnson and other guys were getting double teamed later in the clock, forcing the Jazz in a little bit of a scramble to get looks. They got good looks, but they weren't natural looks, and they didn't make them. Okay? Uh... I've mentioned this a lot. Blake Griffin was 11 for 11 in the first nine seconds of the shot clock. Uh, otherwise, the Clippers have had very little action um, in that area. All right. Any other notes from big storyline things? Nope. I think those are my. Let's look over on the clip. The Clippers storylines are playoff history. 13, they're up 2-0, lose four straight to Memphis. 14, they're tied 2-2 to Oklahoma City. They blow a 13-point lead in the final four minutes of Game 5. Lose Game 6 after leading by 16. That's the sterling year. 2015, they're up 3-1, lead to the Rockets blowing a 19-point lead in the final. 14-15 in Game 6. 2016, they're up 2-0, CP3, and Blake go down uh, in Game 4, and they lose the series. Chris Paul, four first-round losses in eight years. Two and six in elimination games. I think it is. Um, and uh, let me check that. Uh, and one and seven in. well, um, oh, when facing elimination all time, 11 times, Chris Paul's four and seven, Travis Henderson uh, got that one, uh, by the way, game on root sports tonight. Make sure last time you can catch the local guys last broadcast of the year for Bowler and, and Matt. Uh, the thing about Chris Paul is, so he's one in, I have him one in seven in game six, is, I'm, I have to check that. But he's shooting 48% from the field, 28% from, I mean, he's just, he's terrific. Um, late game in the series, Chris Paul is 19 of 34. Uh, or in the clutch, Chris Paul is 11 of 17. Just incredible, incredible, incredible. Um, all right, so that is the storylines. That's kind of where this thing sits. Um, it's probably any other quick jazz player notes let me just kind of look on my big uh, George, All right, here's some player notes for you George Hill is 5 of 16 on open threes he's missed 5 straight I would assume those start to go down uh, these are just kind of I have 100 notes on George Hill it's just then what I do is I take him down to about 5 or 6 I'm going to use in the broadcast uh, Joe Ingalls shooting 37% from the field and 33% from 3 in the series Uh, At his first ever career double-double, though. In the fourth quarters, he's 5 of 6 from the field, 4 of 5 from 3. Pretty awesome. Rodney Hood shooting 37%, but 7 of his last 15 from 3 last 2 games, averaging 17 points a game. In the regular season, he got 4 catch-and-shoot chances in 30 attempts. This year, he's gotten 21 in 4 games, 5 games. Uh, He has not hit a mid-range shot in the series. He's 0 of 9 from 10 to 19 feet. Gordon Hayward, in the four healthy games, 27 points, eight rebounds, three assists, 49 from the field, 48 from three, 96 from the free throw line. He's 27 of 28 from the line. This year in the clutch, final five minutes within five, he's shooting 87% from the line. In the final two minutes, he's seven of seven. In the final 24 seconds, he's three of three from the line. Um, yeah, pretty much all those people that... Ripped on Gordon for the last few years and still do today. Can stick it where the sun doesn't shine. Um, Yeah, I just said that. He's 6 of 8. Here's the big issue on Gordon. In the last two games, he's 6 of 8 on mid-range shots. On the previous games, he was 5 of 18. Joe Johnson, 18 points a game, 53% from the field, 36% from three. Uh, Clutch during the regular season, final five minutes within five, he shot 63% and 54% from... Three-point line, and uh, in the playoffs, he's 8 of 12. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, his off-the-bounce three is only 27%. His catch-and-shoot three is 46%. All right, let's... What else do I got? I think that's probably wrapping it up. Derek Favors is one of seven outside eight feet, 19 of 23 in their restricted area. That's actually a big story. The Jazz are shooting... Um, they're not getting a lot of shots at the rim. It's very much the Clippers defense. They're not getting many shots at the rim. When they do get to the rim, they're scoring at a really high. And Rudy Gobert had nine deflections the other day. All right, I think that uh, gives you everything you need. Uh, Devin Cash is a really nice man. Uh, I've enjoyed having him as as part of the program uh, from the very beginning. So he's a local real estate agent. He's helped out uh, Zach Campbell and uh, a bunch of other uh, charity and Ryan and a bunch of other people that are Kyle – uh, that are Locked On Jazz listeners, and uh, can do the same for you. La- Maybe he'll offer this for next year as well. He was offering two free season tickets when you buy or sell a home with Devin. Uh, I love listening to the various stories. Uh, Zach wrote to me afterwards and said what most people don't realize about realtors is their ability to establish rapport with their counterpart plays a huge role in how the sales proceed. Devin is a simple, downright good guy, which fosters positive relationships with everyone he interacts with. We had several other people vying for a home we purchased, and I credit Devin's interpersonal skills, real estate savvy, for us now returning home to the mecca of the Utah Jazz. Kyle wrote to me um, Devin built a market comparison analysis, which was great. I didn't expect him to put that sort of effort into something quickly. Devin will do that for you. If you're not sure what you want to do, just ask him. Give him a call and ask him for a market analysis. He'll build it for you, and then with no pressure, let put you in a position uh, where you can then decide what you want to do. The biggest surprise for me working with Devin so far has been his personal tact. We're not planning on moving for at least six months, so I was apprehensive on how he would handle this type of situation, but he's been great. He has kept in touch and at no point ever come across as pushy. This is the class act that Devin Cash is. Big Jazz fan as well, so you can talk jazz with him. His number is 801-759-1495. That's 801 759 Ninety-five. All right, that is my new version portion of Locked On Jazz, and now uh, here's the conversation I had with Spence and Gordon from earlier this week to add on for you. Zach Lowe podcast, Locked On NBA has an Eastern and Western Conference breakdowns for you. Uh, a lot of stuff. Hope you enjoy it. Look forward to hearing you at eight thirty tonight. Jazz looking to close out a series for the first time in seven years and move to play the Golden State Warriors on Sunday. Have a great one. Talk to you soon. Jazz insight and analysis straight from the source. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah,
3: let's go. This is your Utah Jazz Insider Report on the Zone Sports Network. Now joining Spence and Gordon, here's radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. Shabam! On 97.5, 1280 The
1: Zone and the Zone Sports Network. As he does every Wednesday at this time, the radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke, joins the big show now. You know, David, I want to start here. I, I know the final score was only a four-point spread, but I was, as we were watching the game, it felt like to me the Jazz were actually badly outplaying the Clippers when you look at the offensive execution, how easy it was for the Jazz to get open looks, how difficult it was for the Clippers to score on their own. I just thought it was a matter of finally making shots, which they did. Would you agree with that? I
3: listened to your halftime show when I was in the arena and then I flipped on the app to listen to your post game show and and you made a you made a really solid point on in both circumstances and I would agree with you. Uh you know I do think there might be a little bit that every, our guys are good enough shooters that every time Ingles or Hayward or Shell have an open look you think they should it should go down and that's not <laughs> the quite the way it works and the way the game worked that night um they either went down for a sequence of time or they didn't go down, like they missed four in a row and then they'd make three in a row and then they'd miss four in a row and then they'd make three in a row. The, the number that, and I think the reason you feel that way, in, and I agree with you 100%, is I looked at the numbers. The Jazz got 41 uncontested shots last night.
0: David, I have to give you credit for your characterization of Gordon Hayward as being a tough competitor and a guy, I don't remember the exact words you used, but when I saw that exchange with Chris Paul, that was an illustration of exactly what you were talking about when you when you said he was he was just a, a tough, angry kind of competitor who would not take a backseat easily, and we saw it right there on the court.
3: I mean, it's a long way from Delonte West sticking a finger in your
0: ear. Yeah.
3: Yep. Right, I mean, we really, and I don't mean that like, but I mean, I think it's the sign of growing up. It's a long way from Darren Williams throwing a ball at him, um, which you know is unique when your teammate does it to you. Uh, but I mean, I th- I think we've seen him grow up, and it's just it's a wonderful that that moment when he out wrestles Chris Paul for the ball, and then absolutely dismisses Chris Paul physically when Paul wants to rip it away from him, and then gets shoved because Chris Paul has been bullied, basically, and then turns around and has some choice words for him that we probably shouldn't repeat. Uh, I thought, to your point exactly, showed where Gordon is, what he's become, how much he's grown up, how much he's willing to stand up for himself. Uh, He's, you know, he is mischaracterized. Every stereotype in the world is on him because he's a white Indiana kid from two parents, and they're not accurate. This kid is as tough a fighter as there is, maybe he didn't grow up and, you know, some of the you know tougher, whatever you want to call it, environments. But from an internal competitor, you're you're not going to get anybody who's competing harder than he is.
1: David, I want to go back to what you just said. Forty-one uncontested shots. That's insane. I didn't realize the number was that high. Um, is that sustainable? Uh, you know, from what you saw last night, is is that something you can see happening come Friday night? Because if they get forty-one open shots, game over, man. Well, let's walk
3: through what's gone on during the series. So game one, they got 32, which is a pretty high number. And I think that was related a little bit to Joe Johnson playing the four and the Clippers not being very good. Then the Clippers clamped down. They got 28 in game two. The Jazz got 20 uncontested shots in game three. They got 31 in game four. And then they got 41 last night because they started to double-team Joe Johnson. And this is the trick box that Doc Rivers is now in without Blake Griffin, they do not have anybody who can guard Joe Johnson. So when Joe Johnson starts to work, frankly, I'm not sure they have can guard Gordon Hayward either. And when those guys go to work, you either bring in help off the three-point shooters, or if you're not leaving three-point shooters, you're going to leave Rudy or Derek wide open at the rim. And uh, Derek didn't have a great night last night, but going into the game, uh, Derek, in the restricted area, was 17 of 20, so those shots probably weren't too much of a problem for him and i i don't know what the answer is the next move for doc rivers is he tried last night a lot of things and i didn't feel like any of them worked and you get those same looks at home and they're going down you all everyone shoots better at home than on the road and those shots are going down tomorrow night and they, if they come out trapping joe johnson and the same looks the jazz got in the first quarter they missed these final eight shots of the First quarter to let the Clippers take the lead, Those they aren't going to miss eight straight on Friday night. But it'll be gone. The game will be over by then.
0: David, uh, one of the coolest things about sports, for me at least, is watching the growth of not just one player but a bunch of players. And you talked about Gordon Hayward earlier. But what we're seeing here is the Jazz had a plan they went out and made some drafts they draft uh, they draft picks they drafted some stars guys who who evolved into stars and then Dennis Lindsay goes out and gets these veterans he sprinkles them together they face a bunch of adversity this year and now we hear Quinn Snyder say stuff like these guys really enjoy playing basketball they love playing together well that's what we're seeing here this thing is melding together in such a a cool way that it, last night i thought that was evident and it was pretty plain and whereas the jazz were moving in that direction the clippers are much more fragile and brittle i think
3: let's go to two um, two things come to mind when you uh, speak of that i hope they're related um the first to back up your point i think the jazz have played a really smart series so i've gone back and Rewatched watched every game, you know, and a lot of times backing up plays, knowing the game plan, I'm, I'm so fortunate to have the access that I have. I'm, I'm really, really lucky. Uh, and so I go back with that knowledge, and they're playing a really smart series. I and mean, then most highlighted by the Joe Johnson game winner in game one, they interact in that fashion to get the switch. Um, the second one that I was actually trying to find today Um, that I would be really curious and maybe we have it archived Austin's so good at this, he probably has something. I would be really curious to go back and listen to Dennis Lindsay's Locker Clear Out interview last year. Because my memory on it is that he says, this is on me. This was my fault that we didn't make the playoffs. I didn't get us enough veterans. I didn't have us enough depth. We'll fix that problem. That's my memory of that press conference. And to the man of his word, everyone's talking about how much Quinn Snyder's outdoing Dennis, Doc Rivers, the coach. I think we could also talk about Dennis Lindsay's outdoing Doc Rivers, the GM, in this series. Now, the Blake Griffin injury changes everything, and you know I, I think we can't underestimate the impact of that. I think that, in fairness to the Clippers, uh, the way we – of who we happen to be and how we play and the intelligence of our head coach, you can get through the regular season – without Blake Griffin, but in the playoffs, Quinn Snyder is exposing it on every single play.
1: So, David, uh, you, you just kind of touched on this a little bit. I want you to expand. Is there anything Doc can do? I kind of started out the show with that today, that, you know, you know, without Blake Griffin, they are different. Um, you know, some people want to pretend they're not, but they are um, we saw a little Brandon Bass. I don't know why he's playing Paul Pierce, even though Paul knocked down a couple of threes. If you're Doc, like, I thought the Jazz outplayed the Clippers so badly last night. I came away thinking that Game 6 might be a blowout. But if you're the Clippers, what is what is your plan for Game 6? I tried to look at little lineup things and see if he had anything that kind of clicked together
3: in different lineups last night. Uh, over, at, I don't know if you ever go to the site uh, popcornmachine.net. Um, but I, I tried to find little little lineups that worked, and I, I haven't found a lot. I mean, the Raymond Felton, Chris Paul, JJ Redick, uh, and Bob Bam, Bob Mute, DeAndre Jordan were all on the floor together when they went on the 11-0 run. But that was really just Chris Paul hitting two shots, you know, and JJ getting a bunch of foul calls. Uh, they they played JJ Redick with Chris Paul, Ba Mute, Chris, and DeAndre Jordan. I, I don't know lineup wise. I, I felt like Austin Rivers helped them. I felt like they were a better team when Austin Rivers was on the floor. The numbers I'm not sure showed that. He was minus four. Um, they've got a real problem every time Chris Paul checks out of the game. Uh, I think Chris Paul was plus three last night, so they were minus seven when he was when he was off the floor. Uh, I, I, I mean, principally on defense, they have to decide whether they're still going to trap those pick and rolls and try to full rotate out of them. That doesn't seem like a really good option when the Jazz have five uh, five guys in, or four guys, no, five guys, five guys. Hill, J- Johnson, Ingles, Hayward, Hood, and Hill, five different guys who all shoot better than 38% from three. It doesn't seem like a good idea to be in full rotation because four of them are going to be on the floor, and the fifth guy is going to be a rim roller, which as good as anyone in the league. So that doesn't seem like a great answer to me. But Joe Johnson, and I haven't updated my – data from yesterday, but it couldn't have gotten worse watching that game, I don't think. Uh, Joe Johnson in the paint was 21 of 28 going into game five. So, you can't let that go on either. right? I mean, the guy's shooting 75% in the paint. You're insane if you don't double that. So, I don't know what their answer is when Joe Johnson is on the floor. Um, And I thought it was really important last night that the Jazz starters to open the game were plus four uh against them because then the first substitutions Joe Johnson. And if we have the edge when Joe Johnson comes in, then we've got an edge for the night.
0: David, circling back to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, first of all, you mentioned that that uh, sound from uh, Dennis Lindsey. I, I, we'll, Austin has that. We'll play it in just a second. But last night, six players in double figures. Obviously, Gordon Hayward leading the way, but that kind of balanced support of players around him, teammates. It's, it's a beautiful way to play the game of basketball, even though that game was a little bit ugly. But Austin, will you play the sound that David was talking about? We're not going to sit here and alibi. Every professional sports team has injuries, and ultimately I'm most responsible up here on the dais, not Quinn, not the coaches, not the players. I think some of the criticism that's out there has been fair relative to maybe our payroll being low or our team being young, us not addressing a couple of issues at the trade deadline. And so I welcome all those questions. There you go, David.
3: By the way, Austin Horton, that's incredible. Great producing work. That's beautiful radio. As a guy who loves radio, that's great stuff right there. That's 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 a Gordon Hayward tip. You know, the answer a little bit to both the things. I mean, that's great from Dennis, and I don't want to let that go. But I want to go back to both something you and, uh, Spence just alluded to. The one thing the Jazz can't do is they won that game last night on hustle plays, right? For all these other mismatches and everything else, that's a one possession game that Gordon Hayward taps. Steals an offensive rebound and taps one out to Joe Johnson, and the two chances the Clippers had a chance to get the ball to tie last night. And both times the Jets out-hustled the Clippers to go get those. Now I think you out hustle people also because you're better than they are, right? I think you know Gordon's more athletic than every, and not as tired as the guys are being pushed beyond their limits on the Clippers at that point. So I do think it's a talent thing, but I I do think we should be. Careful to realize these, this game is awfully close, and you you don't you know Gordon Hayward doesn't make that incredible cut on the baseline off that sh- George Hill shot to go get that rebound and tip it to Joe Johnson. Maybe maybe we're down three two, trying to figure out what adjustments we have to make, not what adjustments they have to make.
1: In that vein, David, um, what concerns you about Friday night? If you're the Jazz, what are you most concerned about? I mean, uh, a closeout game is always the hardest game to get. When the series is close, it's different when you're Golden State playing Portland and Portland has their bags packed for vacation down 3-0. But a closeout game is it is going to be tough. Vegas likes the Jazz 5.5, by the way. Uh, but if you're the Jazz, what are you watching out for as far as concerns on Friday night?
3: Well, the obvious one is Chris Paul. I mean, he's just that good and he's going to play that hard and he's going to he's pretty dirty and he's going to try every trick he has. And, and and that dirty comment, can he's dirty. theres I, I can show you evidence. Um that's also him just trying everything he possibly can because he cannot fathom losing. So uh, that's where it's derived from. Uh, he's going to try everything he possibly has, and we have to stay together when it happens. I'm very impressed with this team has just been – absolutely not flustered in the slightest. When Chris Paul really tried to get into George Hill at one point, and the fact that George Hill's played in the Eastern Conference Finals and has 103 or whatever his playoff games under his belt was really obvious because he just kind of walked the other way and ignored it after holding up. It was a play where he held onto the ball, and then uh, Chris Paul tried to rip it out of his hand so he could start the fast break, and George Hill wouldn't let him. And instead of getting flustered by it, you know, there was just a calmness of the way George was like, just don't do you know, Get away from me. Uh the other thing I said this with Hans and Scotty the other day, and I, I really, I, I think this is important. I, the jazz, the key moment to me in that whole game the other night, no, probably been fought, forgotten about is the 11-0 run in the very beginning of the game, and and so therefore then the Jazz were ahead, and Chris Paul is reeling the game back in for the Clippers throughout the playoffs. Every time he needs to, he's so remarkable, but it takes a huge amount of energy. And every time he does it, I feel like he, you're just watching his gas tank go down. And you've got to make him do that two or three times during the game or else in the fourth quarter, he has enough juice to take over. He's, I don't, again, I apologize. I don't have the numbers updated, but excuse me, going into last night in 65 minutes that they were trailing, he had taken 38 shots. He'd taken only 32 shots in the 70 minutes when they were leading. In those minutes when he's trailing, he's shooting 58%. Mm. This was going into last night. I, don't, I can't. I don't think he was just as good. <clears throat> That's a huge burden on him if, if the Jazz can play from ahead, particularly in a closeout game where I think he's more likely to use that energy earlier, and I think he's worn out a bit in both the last two games without Blake Griffin.
0: I'll tell you, that three he hit uh, near the end of the game last night was a tough, tough shot, David, and it was impressive. He's, he's an impressive player, like you said. I want to ask you one last fine th- final thing from me. It's kind of a question about emotion. Gordon Hayward was uh, asked about coming back to uh, Vivint Smart Home Arena and what it was going to be like, and he praised the fans and talked about the energy. But you travel around to all the arenas. You see them in all different uh, lights and all different kind of situations. Last night at Staples Center, it was nice. It was uh, energetic. It was supportive of the Clippers. But, man, it's just not like here. When you come back here and see the way the fans support this team, obviously the players have to take care of their business on the floor in order to win. But, man, it must be awfully nice to play in front of fans like that.
3: I think it's been a huge contrast in the series. I took a picture and put these two guys on Instagram. Throughout the game, they were cheering and trying to get the Clipper fans to stand up. Like They would not have to do that at home, right? They would not have to do that if they were Jazz fans. Um, And I left the arena last night, and this series is still a long way from over, so don't misinterpret these comments. But every interview I've done, and I've done quite a lot over the last week. Everyone's asked me, by the way, what's your thought on whether the Clippers should re-sign Chris Paul? And I was walking out last night with, I'm gonna, i i got to be a little obtuse here, with someone who was working last night's game, who's not affiliated with either team, who's been in the league for about 25 years, I would guess. Maybe maybe a few more. And he turned, and we were walking out, and he said, wow, that place was just had no vibe at all tonight. So this is somebody who's been at the biggest games in the nba over the last decade probably the biggest all of them or most of them and for him to say that i thought was interesting and it led me to ask the question to myself as i walked out why would chris paul resign why does chris paul want to play there because it probably is last in the
1: league in home court For a good team. Certainly for a good team. It's it's probably one of the reasons he said what he said about Jazz fans, David, which I don't think had any malice behind it. He said, look, we don't see Clipper jerseys there. They have true homers because, you know, Jazz fans here support the Jazz. And he comes from a a place where they have a team that's not even playing in their own building. That's a Laker town. That's the Lakers building.
3: I'm just re-listening to the radio. I've been listening back to the radio call. During the 11 run in the first quarter, you can hear jazz fans.
0: Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm.
3: Part of it like, is... There that, were a lot of jazz fans there. Uh, there were more jazz fans there early before warm-ups in jazz jerseys than there were Clipper fans.
0: I, I heard a bunch of jazz fans sitting behind where I was, David, a lot. It was it was really remarkable. It caught my attention. But part of it is that building. The way that building is constructed is just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's huge inside and... I don't know. Here, here at uh, Vivint Smart Home Arena, man, all that noise is channeled in a, right down onto the floor, and it's uh, it's 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 a notable difference, that's for sure.
3: Interesting note on that. Um, if anyone's interested in that kind of element of things, Steve Ballmer did a who's the owner of the Clippers did a podcast with Bill Simmons, in which they had a conversation about ideal arenas. Bill led into it talking about how Sacramento's Golden One Center is so gorgeous and fabulous. And Ballmer balked talking about how open it is and how the sound gets lost in that building. And it was a really interesting, particularly when you think of Ballmer's background as a Microsoft guy and that kind of you know ex- product experience, uh, it was a really interesting conversation about how the configuration of an arena can impact how the, the crowd experience, the sound, and the player experience. Um, you know, and as Ballmer looks to get his new arena in Seattle, I mean, in Inglewood, um, it'll be interesting to see what he builds.
0: Was I imagining this or did I see him chatting it up with you the other night? Uh,
3: you did, and this led to a very interesting question I have. Um, since Steve Ballmer and I's combined worth is what three billion, <laughs> um, more than that, uh, so what do you call him? I mean, I've known him since Seattle because when I was the radio voice of the Sonics, he was a season ticket holder. So, I mean, I've known him for a long time, but I don't know him well. I mean, but well enough that we were talking the other day, uh, and we've talked each day of the series. But like, do you like? He's not Mr. Ballmer because frighteningly, he's not that much older than us, and like. It really seems weird to just call a billionaire by his first name. So, like, what do you call him?
0: No, you call him Steve. I, I think that, that's, uh, I, I understand your hesitation, but I think that's the way to go with a guy like that.
3: Yeah, he, uh, he's, it's interesting to me. Um, he's actually had, uh, people from, all a bunch of my, people I know from Seattle. He had the morning show host of KJR with him for game, uh, two. He had, um, uh he had uh former Sonic general manager, Bob Witzit with him for game four, I think, or game three and Salt Lake. He had K- J- the game three and four, are the ones. And last night he had some people from back from Seattle. So he's had a lot of people I know really well. Um, and, and it's been nice to, to say hi to them through, through Steve Ballmer.
1: Well, David, thanks for the time, man. It's uh, certainly an exciting time for Jazz fans. Have a great call on Friday, and we'll see you that night, all right? You bet, guys. David Locke, radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday...